worship your holy name. Friends, please be seated. We're going to be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes for the next six weeks, and we're going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 2 in particular today. But let us read this scripture together. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Please follow along with me. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors of which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea. Yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye has never enough of seeing, nor the ears fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all the things that are under the sun. All of them are meaningless are chasing after the wind. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, I encourage you to keep your scriptures open. We're going to be looking at a few verses of Ecclesiastes today. Before we get into the scriptures together, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that you have gathered us together today. We do pray that as we look at Ecclesiastes, we may see glimmers of hope in a text which gives us the feelings of deep frustration. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Well, friends, there was a man I once knew who lived in Newcastle and he amassed great wealth. Working in the local coal mines, the body was often left bruised, dirty, exhausted. But with retirement on his, of, on his sights, he was actually full of great hope. It seemed like his labor had paid off. He bought a nice home on, in Belmont on the waters there. He also renovated a home in Jules. He had a new prestigious motorhome now that was parked outside his house, ready for many years of traveling. The first item on his adventure list was a cruise up and down the coast. Looking out at the mighty waters of the Pacific Ocean, it seems like the purpose of life was achieved. But while in the boat, the unimaginable happened. The hard-working coal miner who labored for luxury died. 
his heart stopped. On the open waters, there was no salvage. No salvage, no one there to rescue him at all. He was unrevivable. There was no way he could escape the curse of death. And friends, I would like you to focus on that reality just for a moment. The story highlights the brutal nature of our world, does it not? Like the coal miner, we will toil under the sun and many of us actually live under the sun, don't we, Peter? And it's hard. But that work can end in death. And I'm I'm sure that you've come close to death on a few occasions. Countless hours in our lives will be spent developing our reputations. We will establish successful businesses, man caves, gardens, collections will be gained. But then, in the blink of an eye, all our profit, all our claim will be gone. Luxury is there for a moment, and then it passes away like the wind. And so here's the hard lesson we see in Ecclesiastes, which is causing the preacher, the teacher, the poet, the king, great frustration. Life is hard, and then you die. How encouraging. (laughs) Who came to church to be encouraged today? Life is hard, and then you would die. Wow. How does that make you feel? Troubled? Hands up if you're troubled by that. One up there. Confused? Worried? This is the major effect of the book. Irritation. Frustration. Vexation. How do we make sense of all this frustration? How do we make sense of this futile world? Well, at the age of 16, these questions kick-started a life of inquiry. I would say that I'm quite open-minded and at 16 I was searching for answers. I was thinking, is there more to life than this? My friend at 15 just died from a heart attack in a gym. I was shaken. Is this it? He spent his life playing Pokemon and that's it? I went searching and I found the Hebrew wisdom tradition and it's full of richness, isn't it? And often it's overlooked in our Bible reading. In this search, I wrestled with the book of Ecclesiastes, which is an autobiography written from the perspective of a sage king. And the book starts with the greatest words of encouragement. Ready? Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. He also goes on and says this. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. He has. He's studied like everything. He's studied so much that his body is exhausted by how much inquiry he has endured. And he says all of them are meaningless, are chasing after the wind. He can't seem to grab hold of his true purpose from a world-centered worldview. 
When the master poet glances at the creation, he is basically saying every square inch of this place is full of vanity and frustration and death. He has tried to find the significance in wisdom, pleasure, work, wealth, status, relationships. While they sometimes fill the need, the void, they are all empty. And so he says this in chapter 3, verse 20. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust. And to dust all return. And so his world-centered worldview has come to a very sad conclusion. It's all vanity. He then offers us the greatest encouragement he can give us at his disposal. Ready? Verse, chapter 9, verse 9. Enjoy life with your wife or friend or husband whom you love all the days of your meaningless life. That God has given you under the sun all your meaningless days. So I want to ask you the question, what word keeps on popping up in these verses? What's the word? Say it. Meaningless. This word meaningless is quite abstract. It's a Western concept. But when we actually look at the Hebrew scriptures, the word meaningless there is the word havel. Can everyone say havel? And in Hebrew, the word havel is a very concrete word. In the Hebrew language, they used many different words to explain abstract ideas like fire, wind, ground. And so this word hevel, havel, sorry, means smoke or vapor or mist. Hevel is a substance that is visible for a moment and then perishes into midair. Let me illustrate this for you. This is your life. Ready? Can everyone see the fire? That's your life gone. Smoke. Your life is smoke. Or another illustration. Your life is what? Mist. You see it for a moment. And then it is gone. But let me put it in the words of the master poet himself, who I believe is Solomon. Ecclesiastes 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 2 says, says the teacher, utterly everything is spray. You build a house and then it becomes nothing. How long does wood last? Not long. The, the church is literally falling apart on the outside. I'm, I'm, we're often having to repair this building. It doesn't last. You invest in shares and then they become meaningless due to a recession. You're born and then you become no more. By this stage you may wonder, is there more to life than this? Is there any hope in our worlds? You may be surprised by the answer and it's actually answered in Ecclesiastes itself, but there is meaning. 
While our world-centered worldview provides little hope, there's an end to Ecclesiastes. And the master poet concludes that we find meaning through the right worldview. And so what is this worldview? It's a God-centered worldview rather than an earth-centered worldview. This is the conclusion of this book. Fear God and keep his commands. For this is the whole duty of man. Meaning does not come from money, from success, from pleasure. We find meaning when we simply fear God and obey God. It's as simple as that. That is your true meaning in a world that is falling apart. A futile, broken world full of sin. The master poet has looked at everything and he's come to the conclusion Meaning is not found in this world. Meaning is found in God and God alone. But what does it mean to fear God? It's not like to run away in the garden like Adam. It is to draw close to God, to bow before his throne in reverence. It's to see his holiness and how unholy you are. It's to see that you are full of guilt and shame and it draws you into repentance, you recognize that you have not got it together, but there's one who is perfect and good and he desires relationship with you. And we can have relationship with God through one person. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we're now called, 1 Peter tells us, to revere Christ as Lord because the way to God the Father is through Christ the Son, and when we believe in Christ the Son, we are restored to God. That reverence leads to justification, and justification leads to our eternal salvation. And what is the fruit of all this? We obey God. We no longer live for our failed, humanistic, broken worldviews. We read the scriptures and let God speak. We obey Him. Jesus said, who are those who know me? Those who obey my commands. Jesus is our good shepherd and he desires to lead us, to, for us to know his will. And that will of God is written in the word of God. And so where is meaning found? We fear God. We establish a relationship with him by faith in Christ. And then we obey God. We maintain a life of surrender, listening to the word of our shepherd for life. Remember, if you love me, Jesus says, keep my commands. And so Jesus teaches us that meaning is found when we fear God and keep his commands. Or more simply put, meaning is found when we have a God-centered worldview in a world that is passing away just like this vapor. Gone. But how might this worldview change our lives? Well, I was thinking about different stories and testimonies throughout the Christian tradition. I could look at someone like Paul the Apostle, but there was someone who jumped up on my Facebook newsfeed, which really encouraged me this week. And his name is George Mueller. Mueller wrote that this about his conversion to Christ. He said this, When I surrendered myself totally to God, the love of money was gone. 
The love of a home was gone. The affection of wealth was gone. The love of worldly things was gone. God has become my everything, he said. I found everything in him. There is nothing else I wanted. And I stayed with him, a happy man, a very happy man, seeking to only accomplish the things of God. See this shift in his worldview from being centered on the world to God. His whole life changed. His deep reverence for the Lord then drove him to know the will of God. George Mueller is said to have read the Bible more than 200 times, many of which were on his knees in deep surrender and reverence before his Lord Jesus Christ. Before his death, asked by a reporter what he would still do before, his, before he died, he said, on his knees to read more of the Bible because I know too little about the excellency of Christ. But this fear of God was not without purpose. He didn't just spend his whole day sitting at his bed, reading the scriptures and repenting of his sin. No, Mueller cared for 10,000 orphans throughout his life. Based upon God's promise found in Psalm 68 verse 5, God is a father to the orphans. Hence, he devoted his whole life to the education of children, so much so that the public schools around him were saying, your education, Mueller, is too good. We can't compete with your orphanages. But my point is here. His obedient life to God made a profound impact. On the day of Mueller's funeral, the town factory shut down. Thousands of people came to pay their last respects to the man who was transformed by God from a thief who betrayed his closest friends to a man who feared God and obeyed him by faith in Christ. Fearing God and keeping his commands changes the world. It makes this futile world a little bit better, but it ultimately causes us to bring pleasure to our God. And so we see here that you can actually enjoy, live out, a meaningful life under the sun in this world of chaos. Imagine what would, what would be possible if you feared God and obeyed God like Mueller, who is the example I just provided. The upper hunter would be rocked, shaken, transformed by our God-centered lives. The hungry would be satisfied. The lonely would find redemption. The destitute would be educated. The dead in sin would come alive when they drew close to the throne of Jesus Christ by faith. But where do we start? Well, let me summarize where we're up to. Life is meaningless. It's vapor. But it doesn't have to be meaningless in our futile world if we obey God and fear God. But where do we start when it comes to fearing God? Well, let me ask you the question, what drove transformation ultimately in Mueller's life? Yeah. He searched the scriptures. He lived with the presence of God, the word of God, the knowledge of God, the will of God right before his life. Every single day of his life miserable, meaningless life. <laughs> and it changed him. It changed him. And this too is our challenge today. 
This is your takeaway. We are called to be people of the good book. It's a good book. It's living word. It transforms hearts and minds. It has done so throughout the whole human history. When people are exposed to the riches of the word, they are changed. Practical religion, not dead religion, practical living religion centered on Christ is inseparable from our Bible reading. Out of his sheer grace, God has given us a book which is, quote, able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, says Paul the Apostle. By reading this book, we, we learn what to believe, what to be, what to do, how to live with comfort, how to die in peace. J.C. Ryle once said this, Happy is the man who possesses a Bible. Happier still is he who reads it. Happiest of all is if, if he not only reads it, but also obeys it and makes it the rule of his faith and practice. The person who reads the word is blessed. Without it, we will not draw, draw close to God with reverence. Without it, we will not honour God with obedience. Without it, we will not taste the gift of eternity. Without it, we will not meet our Saviour and Lord Jesus Christ. So friends, read it. That's your exhortation. Read it. With a deep desire to understand it. I'm encouraged by you, Margaret, because you text me saying, I read Ecclesiastes and I'm... Oh! Yeah, yeah. That's the passion we're seeing when we read in the Bible, yearning to know God. Read it with a passionate heart, ready to worship. Read it with a spirit, ready to listen and obey. Read it every day if you can. Following an ordered plan, read it with passion to know God in Jesus. And so my point today is this. Yes, resolve to read your Bible, but everything is meaningless outside a life with God. And it can be filled with meaning if we develop that God-centered perspective that comes from reading Scripture. And so your takeaway today is work hard. Resolve to read your Bible. Resolve to read your Bible. I hear stories of people overseas, and I'll share it with you. A lady was in a concentration camp over in North Korea. And guess what became her toilet paper? Any ideas? Pages of the scripture. And she discovered the good news as she was wiping her bum. And she started to hold those scriptures and pile them away in a secret place so that she could know God. Imagine if we had that same fervor to know our God, to develop our God-centered perspective in our meaningless world. Everything would change. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your scriptures. Even though Ecclesiastes is a hard book, which reveals the hopelessness in our world, that it is vapor, we thank you that there is actually hope. If we fear God and obey him in Christ, we can live a life of meaning. And so, Lord, help us 
to pursue that life today. Amen. Before we sing, we're going to do something different today. I'd like you to maybe sit with the person next to you. And Margaret's going to lead us through some questions. And I encourage you maybe to spend time with the person next to you praying. But these are our questions. Move next to somebody. I know that that's not a common thing for me to get up and make 